Hey, it's Andrew, and I wanted to thank you for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. Did you know that you can subscribe to the Door County Pulse podcast on Apple Podcasts or Pocket Casts or wherever you get your podcasts to have new episodes delivered to your feed twice a week on Wednesday and Friday? All you have to do is pick up your phone, navigate to your podcast app, and search for Door County or Door County Pulse podcast and click subscribe. If you're a longtime listener or if this is your first episode, we hope you enjoy the Door County Pulse podcast. Welcome to One on One, a Door County Pulse interview series. I'm Andrew Clyden, and I'm joined today by Solomon Lindenberg and Charlie Eckhart. How are you guys doing? Good. Doing pretty well. Good. So if you listened to the podcast a couple of weeks ago, uh, you heard me and Solomon talking about the Gibraltar Voice newspaper. Solomon, you kind of jumped on board, and you've been doing some interning for us. And uh, you set this particular interview up. Uh, why did you want to bring Charlie in today? Just because I feel like he has a lot of insight into... Uh how music is made, you know, live performance and whatnot. And you guys know each other, yeah? Yes. Yes. Quite well. <laughs> Have you guys been working on music together? How do you guys know each other? Do we work yeah. on music together, Salman? I mean, I'd say so. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm Salman's band director. And so uh, I met Salman when he was in sixth grade. And uh, I've been his band director now. He's a senior, so it's been this is our seventh year together. Nice. So, Charlie, you're the band director for Gibraltar. Tell me a little bit about your background in music and how you found your way here. That's a long story. I started out of high school not planning on attending school for, for music. I was in a band uh, that we formed in high school, and we started playing out, and that became my job after I dropped out of college. Going to do this band thing, Mom and Dad. And they were, they were all fired up about it. I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, so we, uh, we got a booking agent and we started playing and, and I was just in a bar band full time. So we'd, uh, play Tuesday through Saturday, have a couple of days off travel, but there was a couple of stints where we did, you know, I think there was one where we did 36 nights in a row where we just performed every single night. So we're playing in Wisconsin, Minnesota, Illinois, North and South Dakota, Iowa, uh, upper Michigan. And, uh, so we're, we're just traveling all around the Midwest in a truck, in a car, and, uh, and we're sitting up in bars and we're, and we're playing bars, mostly cover tunes, but, uh, we had some originals that we had written. I get done doing that and, uh, I have no marketable skills, so I'm trying to find a job, you know, and, and so what's your work experience? I'm like, well, I, I played keyboards, I sang, you know, uh, here and there, I danced a little bit, played some trumpet can I work on your construction site? And so that didn't really go all that well. Right. I ended up joining the Navy. I'm in the Navy for five and a half years. While I'm there, um, I did pretty well. I was good at training other people to do things. And uh, I decided to get into teaching. And music was something that I've had, had done since high school that I was passionate about. So I decided to get into teaching music. I came to Gibraltar in 2000, August of 2000. And I've been here ever since. Why did you want to teach like music to students? Why not go into, you know, being a music professor or something at a college? I go to school. Uh, I'm, I'm 28 years old. I've had uh, five and a half years in the Navy, a couple of years on the road. And I'm, I'm getting up there in my age. And so really, um, I could have went ahead and got my, uh, my master's degree. But uh, I, was, I was constrained by time. I had two children and uh, a wife who was divorcing me. So I, I had some other things on my mind and I, I just needed to get in the workforce. Gotcha. So, yeah. So I went and I, I taught in 
my first job was up in winter school where I taught 612 music. And uh, I was there for four years, and then I taught one year in Plymouth, which is closer to my home of Sheboygan. And it was nice to be around my family. I taught in a middle school there, just three grades. And then I, I took the job at Gibraltar because my wife wanted me to apply for this job because she's from up here. She grew up here. Her parents are from here. They've been here for over 100 years. So that was pretty much a decision that was pretty much made for me. Well, we share that in common. I married up here too. So, yeah. uh, it, so here we are. In. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Did you find that you, you had a passion for teaching young people and has Solomon killed that in you over the last six years <laughs> or so, or, or is it still going strong? Yeah, I have, I have a passion for, you know, I, I like watching something that, you know, like a lot of times, you know, we've all been in the school experience and, and music was something that, you know, you put a little effort into it and you could see your results right away. Uh, you know, things that you can play today that you couldn't play last week because you've been working on them. And there's a real thing about music in, in a public school system or in a setting where you know, kids are taking this, uh, a, a lot of things that, you know, um, teachers will say, hey, you're going to need this one day. You, this is going to be something you're going to need later on in life. But music is something I can, I can tell you when you're going to need this in my class. It's going to be the night of the concert. It's going to be the next time you have to get up and play in front of people. And even though most of my students don't go on to professionally play, the skills that you learn in a music class transfer into many different areas of your life, how to present yourself, how to prepare for something. So I think uh, teaching music is valuable. It's fulfilling. I like watching kids when they get it, when they, when they build that confidence, you know, when they've been working on something and all of a sudden it's working for them. And uh, I also like, you know, being on stage and performing some of that with the students as a band, you know, that feeling you get after you just you nail something. It, you know, we got it. It was great. And, you know, the students know it. I know it. Their parents, most of the time, think that even when the band doesn't play all that well, it was fine. But uh, I have higher standards. <laughs> Solomon, is that something that you share in, that sense of progress over time? Is that something that you've noticed in your musical career? Yeah, sure. It just depends on how much work I put in. You know, like I'll have a couple of weeks where I make a lot of progress and then I'll have like a month where I just, you know, use those same tools that I developed. And that's just what I enjoy. And I don't, you know, learn new things after that. But um, yeah, I wouldn't say my progress is always extremely linear. It would just uh, depend on and what you're working on. Yeah. You know, I mean, when you're first starting out, it's, it's, it's linear. And when you get more advanced, like you said, you, you, you get a concept and you start working with that. And then you, you put that concept into different musical situations. How does it work here? How does it work there? And, you know, you're, you're doing that experimentation because, uh, you know, there's, there's something about making the music too. As, as you're doing it, it's really enjoyable. I mean, that's why they call it playing. Right. Right? Because you get to play. And uh, that's, that's fun. So something that we both have a grasp of is what the music scene is like in Door County, but something that I don't have any insight in is how the music scene in Door County compares to the music scene elsewhere. How would you say it's unique? What I like about the music scene in Door County is you have, you have a lot of people coming to perform in the summertime. There's, there's some people who stay here all winter long. And, uh, and they, they, they're performing out and they're, they're playing open mics and they're running this. There's, and there's some full-time musicians who live up here who are, you know, just full-time gigging musicians. You know, I'm sure they have a job on the side, but in the summertime, you have all these people coming in from all over the country. 
And you have this this vibe up here that's pretty cool because uh, there, there's a lot of different people moving in that you can play with, that you can form different groups of people to play with, and and that's 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 neat. I, I really that that's been something that I've enjoyed about living up here. Every summer, there's there's people that come in that you get to play with, and uh, that's cool. And you're you're in a tourist area. People come up here. They want to have fun. They want to go out. They want to see live music. You know, you're working your job in Menasha every day and uh, you get home and you're, and you're just living your regular life. You want to make supper, you know, get some things done maybe around the house and you go to bed and you get up and you do it again. People are on vacation up here. So they're going out to eat. They're going out to see a band. And there's a warm and willing audience, I, w- I would say, in Door County. It's a good place to play. That's something that I hear a lot from people, that there are hungry audiences up here that are really welcoming, especially to new artists who are trying to get their art out in front of people. This is a really great place to be able to do that, and the barrier of entry is pretty low. Yes, exactly. Well put. Well, uh, one thing that I wanted to ask, too, is, you know, being the director of the band at Gibraltar, there's got to be some challenges in terms of working with a, a small school like that, but I'm sure opportunities as well. What is it like actually working at Gibraltar and putting together the different bands that you've put together? Well, you're the beginning and the end of your public school 612 music education instrumental. So it's me. There's Mary Bell who gives flute lessons, but there's not a lot of private teachers up here. So it comes down to you. You have your sixth grade band, your seventh grade band, your eighth grade band, and then nine through 12. Teaching in a small school, you have a limited number of students that you can actually have as part of your band. And when you're lumping the nine through 12 all together, the the seniors in that band have been in the high school band for as long as the freshmen have been playing their instrument. Right. So there's a lot of times a big gulf of skills sets. And so so you're trying to not overwhelm your lower skilled kids, the kids that haven't been doing it for as long. And you're trying not to bore your seniors. In an ideal situation, you know, we'd have this band ability leveled out or grade level to where you had your more advanced players in in one group and your less advanced and less mature players. And, and, you know, behavior during rehearsal is, is something that, you know, like, Seniors are much different during a rehearsal than the freshmen are. You know, that's all over the scope on as far as, you know, development is concerned of teenagers. So when you have this big group of kids in, in one room and they have a real diverse skill level, that's challenging to work with and to try to harness and move in one direction. Another challenge that I have here is that uh, we don't start until sixth grade. Uh, many schools start their kids in fifth grade on, on instruments. And we're not starting until six. The one thing that is good at Gibraltar is that I see my kids just about every day from sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade. Um, and so um, I can make up some ground that way. Right. Um, in, in a high school situation, you're like, what, what does the high school band do? We're playing a pep band. Uh, we have a concert band and, and we have a, a jazz band or a jazz combo. And a lot of times our job is to, you know, play at games. Well, if the soccer team is away at Algoma and the football team is playing, the amount of students that I have to be able to perform at that game goes down critically. There's some sections that get wiped out. I can't, we, you know, we can't do it. Right. We can't play at that game. So the students at Gibraltar are involved in a lot of things. 
if there's a kid that gets out of this school and says, I was bored, there was nothing for me to do. I, I just don't know where they've been for four years. <laughs> there's so much going on. I think most of the kids feel a little bit overwhelmed with how many things that they're in and how many things that they have to pay attention to. And because our kids are highly involved in uh, student activities, many times it's, it's challenging to go out there and, and do a good performance. Sometimes you have to go with just 25 kids. There's 69 kids in our high school band. Right. So you take a bunch of students out of, if you have a no set drummer or, uh, you know, like we do a lot of swapping around of parts. Solomon many times is, he's playing keyboards for pep band, but then he'll just play bass. Sometimes you're playing bass guitar and sometimes you're playing keyboard bass. So we move kids around so we can, so we can make this, make the show, make, make, make the gig. Right. You're being flexible, but are you able to be creative in that way too? Does it allow for different opportunities that maybe a student wouldn't get in a larger school where they, they're not able to move around to different parts of the band as freely? Yeah, I, I, think, I think that there's a lot of opportunities for students at Gibraltar to be involved in, in not just the band, but other things because there's accessibility. You know, we had to try out for our basketball team. You didn't make that third cut. You weren't on the team. And then they had three cuts. So. I always was fortunate enough to get that out of the way and get cut the first first <laughs> night because basketball was my thing. But, you know, not everybody played. And uh, most kids had one or two things that they were passionate about, and that's what they did. And here, you know, students are in one act, and they're in the play, they're in the musical, they're in the band, they're playing basketball, they're on the Viking voice, they're doing, you know, they're in the student council. So that's a good experience, I think, for them. I think one of the things that is especially true being part of a music program of such a small school is how crucial uh, student motivation is in music and how like contagious that is because um, in my experience, we've had years where there's students that are motivated and just because of that, we've had a really good band. And then there's other years where, you know, there's kids that aren't motivated and, and all it's really taken is just two or three kids to be really motivated. And uh, it just causes other kids to practice and, and have fun with the music. That's a big part of it. If, if you have those kids that are motivated and they're, they're practicing and it causes the other kids in the band to practice, the band gets much better. The whole atmosphere during rehearsal is different. If that's not happening, and there's years when that doesn't happen. Um, and mostly, I mean, you know, like it's the juniors and the seniors who are in charge of that because the other kids are looking up to them. And when you have that culture, then a lot of great things happen in the band room. You're right. Why don't we take a break? And then when we come back, uh, your band, Bacchus Lotus, has been around since 78, right? Yes. I want to talk about that. Uh, we had kind of chatted a little bit about the music scene here, but I'm interested to hear about, you know, the beginnings of, of what you guys were doing back then. But then also you just produced a, a new album recently. Yes. Uh, and I want to talk about the, the production of that and, and what it is to be a, a musician, not only in Door County, but just in general. Okay. Grace, there is nothing that I love more than lighthouses and state parks. Oh my gosh, no way, me too. I just wish that there was, I don't know, some sort of way that I could capture my love for those things in a physical way that maybe I could put on the wall or something. Well, you are in luck, my friend. If you visit DoorCountyPulse.com slash shop, you can find exactly those items. You mean we actually put together a series of state park posters and an incredible collection of 
lighthouses all in one piece of artwork that you can buy online? That we did, Andrew, that we did. I didn't know that we had an online shop. What else can I get there? You can also buy some Paul stickers, Door County Living stickers. You can subscribe to Door County Living or the Peninsula Pulse if you are not in Door County. You can buy our annual Door Wedding Guide. And you can also buy uh, Lighthouse postcards if you do not want the full poster, but might want to add a little something something in your gift package. I'm looking at the shop right now and I just noticed that we have Peninsula Pulse hats with the dog logo and everything. Grace, I think I am sold. Where can I go to find all of this stuff one more time? www.doorcountypulse.com slash shop. Okay, we are back. So Charlie, tell me about your band. Uh, How did you guys get started and what's the journey been like thus far? I started writing songs with a guy named Rich Zorn in eighth grade. And uh, we would get together and just just write tunes. We also, we'd walk around with a tape recorder and record things. So we were always into recording ourselves. Uh, And of course, our tape recorders were, were cheap with bad microphones. So our first recordings were horrible. When we got to high school, we met Matt Byans, who played drums, and Jeff Radke, who played bass. And so we started our band, Bacchus Lotus, when we were juniors in high school. There was a lot of different people who came in and out of that band. But from the beginning, we'd learn cover tunes. But we always had been writing our own material. That was a a big part of the fun for us was being able to create something, to, you know, work through our parts and and, uh, think about how, how, how should this song go? You know, that lyric line, is that what you want there? what are you playing there? I love that. Can you do more of that? Or, you know, it was the whole collaborative thing. Right. We all graduated from Sheboygan North in 1980. In August of 1980, this is a couple months after we graduated, uh, we entered the Battle of the Bands that was put on by WLPX in Milwaukee. And it was at State Fair Park and we won. And that was pretty amazing to us. And so, you know, I thought maybe we have something here. And that's why I decided that uh, by October, I think I was done with college at the Sheboygan Center. Probably I was, I was a bad student as well. I, I wasn't all that motivated. I was oh. much more into playing in the band. Sure. But I mean, it's good that those things lined up together. You know yeah. what I mean? Because you're, you're, you're choosing to step away from one thing, but then you have this motivational, you know, presence in the other. Yeah. So, I mean, we, we, we kept playing and we had enough gigs that we could feed ourselves. Uh, we were all living at home, of course, but uh we found a manager and uh, he signed us to their agency. And then um, it was in 1981 when we went out on the road. We had changed our name at this time, but still the the bass player and the guitar player and myself were still in with the band. Our, our drummer was uh, off at off at school. So he, he decided to go to college at that time and not go out on the road with the band, which was a good decision for him. Um, he joined us back in, it was 1983. And uh, we pretty much put everybody that was in the original band back in that 83 band. And, uh, we went out on the road together then Uh, Matt was done with college at that point. And, uh, we had a great year and at the end of that year, then, then it was it for us for, uh, for another stint, you know, like I, I ended up joining the military in, uh, December of 84, the sax player joined the military as well. And, uh, Ridge Zorin went on and formed his own band. Uh, with all new members, the bass player went off and joined another band. And so this, this went on through the eighties. Uh, I get out, I come back to Wisconsin. I'm going to college and uh, dude, we're putting the band back together. So here we are recording again. 
and right. uh, you know our our equipment has gotten better. All all the while that you know we are apart from each other, we had our own little these four track cassette uh, studios, these home studios, and so we're mixing ourselves and writing tunes on four tracks, pretty much just uh, solo stuff, and then we collaborate and and send it, each other recordings. And uh, when we got back together in uh, in the early nineties, we were recording on an eight track deck. It was a reel to reel Tascam. You know, not eight track with the cartridges, but you know, eight tracks on the on the reel to reel. If anyone wants that deck, by the way, uh, you can come over and pick it up. It's sitting in my garage, and I'm not using it anymore. It's beautiful. It's a nice deck. <laughs> so you guys, you guys have been playing with each other in some capacity for over forty years at this point. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool for a group that gets started together in high school and then is still going today. You know what? The great thing about it is uh, we're all friends, and. Uh, our friendships that we had in high school, you know, like how many times, how many times are you still tight with the people that you were tight with in high school? Right. Usually your interests, they widen and uh, you lose track and you still get together with them, but you know, there's nothing there feeding that friendship. We had that. We have that. There's still something there where we can get together and make music together and everything's fresh again. If we have new things to talk about. As far as like the music goes, how much do you feel like your style or your sound has changed through the 40 years? I can't even tell you what the style is. You know, I it's poppy. I think it's, it's remained the same, but it's, it's what it is. I mean, when we write a song, usually somebody comes with a bass idea and then, you know, people riff on it or, you know, shoot it down or, yeah, what do you want to do that for? You know, there's questions that go around as we're playing it, as we're learning it. And so the process of writing the song is pretty much stayed the same. There's different ways we go about it, but in the end, it, it comes down to people have input and you work with other people on it. And you try to, you try to make it sound as, as good as you can make it sound. So you can talk about your new album. It's called Bacchus Lotus 4, and it's all the original members, right? It's, uh, it's just the four of us. The, yeah. the core four? The core four. Um, what would you say uh, inspired you to put out an album? We were playing as a four piece and we were doing a lot of gigs up at the Gordon Lodge on Sunday afternoons. And so they'd have us out on the patio deck and we're playing outside. And after one of the gigs, we were talking to the, the manager at, at the Gordon Lodge and we asked if we could have, uh, in November, after they shut down a, a cabin that we could get together at and just have a weekend. So we, we went there, we set up our stuff, we turned on the decks and we recorded from Friday night pretty much to Sunday at noon when people had to start going. So it was a day and a half of, uh, of just throwing ideas around and, and we get those ideas to the, to where, you know, we could start, we could turn the deck on. We turn the deck off in between and say, you know, here's the next thing we're going to work on. And someone would bring something and we'd start riffing on it. And then we get it to a point where, okay, that that's pretty good. Let's, let's, let's get that on there. Um, later on, we analyzed those recordings. We listened to what we did and, and that was the beginning of this process. That was, that's how we started. Is this the first album that you guys have put together in the 40 years? We've, we've done a lot of recording. We released a 45 back in the early 80s, a 45 record of vinyl, right? Right. And, and so we've been in the studio. We've done our, we have home studios. We, we've, we've done that with each other. This is the first album that we've actually released. You know, now the climate has changed for releasing your own material. You can open up a publisher with, with CD Baby or, you know, there's other online publishers that you can get your music published in. 
and the technology is not a factor anymore. Back, back in the day, you had to go to a recording studio. You had to pay an engineer. You had to have enough money to do that. And we're four poor boys from Sheboygan. We didn't have any money. So, you know, most of our money was spent on, on buying equipment or, you know, the things that are essential like beer. Right. So, <laughs> so now that money is not a factor that we have this equipment at, at our, our own homes. I mean, we can actually record without even being together we all live in different places. Right. And that's one of the reasons why this took so long to get out is because our proximity had changed. We're all, you know, working our full-time jobs and we're communicating via the internet and sending files to each other. And sometimes those files get upgraded and the song has changed. And now, you know, you have to put a new baseline down. So, you know, send it over to Jeff. He's got a little studio in his house. He can, he can record his bass part, send it back. We can look at it. A track that I liked in listening to this album was one called uh, Cobbler's Blues. Could you talk about that one? So Cobbler's Blues was the first, uh, when we were at the Gordon Lodge and we turned the deck on, Cobbler's Blues was the first thing we did. And what, what do you get together? Like you're just about to play with some people. What do you do? You play the blues. It's something everybody knows. So we, we started off with a blues riff. Then we had to come up with some lyrics for that. Now, writing lyrics is, is tough for me. I think it's tough for a lot of people. So... We wanted to write this song about what it's like to play in a band that's locally kind of popular. And uh, one of the things that came back to us was after we had won that battle of the bands back in the early 80s, we went down to Milwaukee and we tried to get an agent. And the guy says to, to us, hey, you guys are just big fish in a small pond. You know, you know, he's this, this cigar chomping agent. <laughs> you guys are your Sheboygan. You're a big fish in a small pond. And we're like, well, yeah, okay. So, you know, this Cobbler's Blues is, uh, is just where we kind of own that. And, you know, it goes out to anybody's, you, you know, you're, you're out gigging, you, uh, you get done with the gig, it's 2.30, your stuff is covered in beer, you pack it all up, you try to stay awake on the way home, and you know, that's, that's it. All right, let's take a listen. This is called The Cobbler's Blues off Bacchus Lotus 4. So that's Cobbler's Blues. One thing that I didn't notice when, when I was first listening to this song was that it, it's just a traditional blues form. Yeah. There's, there's nothing special about it. Right. <laughs> it is a total traditional blues form. You know, it, it's, it's cool. Like later on in the tune, the, the, the grooves, we shift the groove. Right. So, so like halfway through the guitar solo, you know, the guitar comes out with just, just jamming to that exact same, same groove. And then, and we shift the groove halfway through the solo, we make it a double solo. So it, that's pretty cool. 
I kind of like, I like that. Yeah, I kind of played the beginning of the song and I'm like, oh, why did they call it Cobbler's Blues, you know? You're just cobbling it together, <laughs> you know? Uh, when, when, we, when we wrote this, it was just a blues. There was no lyrics to it. We had to kind of talk about what, what should we make it about, you know? It's so funny how oftentimes, like when, when groups are getting together, just the, the first thing that comes to mind or, or the way that they're warming up often can be, you know, that spark for inspiration for the whole project. That was it. <laughs> That was it. Yeah. Well, it was, you know, that for, for this tune, you know, like Bacchus Lotus 4, we decided to call this 4 because we're going to go back and release, the next one we're doing is 2. And then we're going to do 3. And then we're going to do 1. And then we plan on doing 5. So there's a, there's a lot of songs that we've been writing over the years that we've never released. And we, we kind of want to do that. Now. And you're going to retroactively yeah. put the albums out. That makes a lot yeah. of sense in a way. Yeah. yeah. Uh, especially for a group that's been together for 40 years to be like, hey, this is kind of our, our catalog of, of stuff that we've done. This is our, our trunk of junk, right? <laughs> Solomon pointed out the, uh, the album cover he thought was particularly interesting. And I took a look at it too. Um, if you, if you want to see it, of course, we'll put it up as the, uh, on the article accompanying the podcast, but tell, describe just briefly what the album art is and how you guys came up with the, the particular image. Well, we, you know, we, we submitted all the recordings. We got them all mastered, submitted them to CD Baby, and, and uh, they, they're requesting a photograph to use for, for cover art for the album. And I just did a Google image search for Bacchus. Uh, Bacchus is the Roman equivalent to Dionysus, the Greek god of, of wine and merriment and uh, dancing and, and the creative spirit. And uh, the uh, picture is a, uh, it was done in like 1560. I can't remember the artist's name, but it's the, uh, it's the wedding of Bacchus. But I thought if we put an old school uh, Sony Walkman in his hand and then put uh, you know, the, the air pads in, in the, uh, in the girl's ears, he just said, Hey, you know, check out my tunes. <laughs> right. Yeah. It, it's uh, very, it's a very funny thing to see AirPods painted into old portraiture. And I, I got to give that to, uh, you know, Nico Salm is a student at Gibraltar and he's, he's good with Photoshop. So he, he did that up for me and, uh, did it in a weekend and I uh, couldn't have been happier. It was, it was great. Like it. Do you think rock and roll music is still as relevant today as it was when you were in high school? And do, and do the overtones and nature of the music still resonate with teenagers, would you say? I don't think so. I don't think it's as relevant as it used to be. And it was different when I was in high school. You know, we got our music from one source, the radio station. And uh, shortly after high school, it was MTV. And that's when it was just all music. But... There was a, a much more centrally distributed catalog of songs that you'd listen to. In the 1970s, when I was growing up, you'd be listening to the radio and you would hear Bobby Vinton, along with Stevie Wonder, along with Paul McCartney, along with Alice Cooper. I mean, there was, there was such a wide variety of tunes. So you'd have, you'd have stuff that was hitting on the country charts along with the pop charts. And you'd have like uh, some some kind of soft jazz that was thrown in there too that became popular because the radio stations were playing a wide variety of music. Now, they're completely specialized. People can choose what they want to do. Just like I think, you know, society has gone into their political camps because you can just listen to who you want to listen to. Right. The same thing happens with music. But I think... You know, what's great about that is, you know, there's, there's an upside to it. And, and that, uh, you know, you're walking around, how many, how many songs do you have on your phone, Solomon? 
4,000. All of them. Yeah. You, they're all there. I mean, it's, it's accessible <laughs> through streaming. Right. I, I mean, like I, I had a, I had a, a big case of cassette tapes that I had in my car that I had to, you know, drive around with and then you'd put it in and you had to listen to the whole damn thing because otherwise you're fast forwarding to, you know, you get to one song and right. it didn't make no sense. You know? yeah. So, I mean, even though it's, 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 it's different rock and roll, I don't think is as relevant because there's so much more out there right now. I mean, you know, like the advent of rap, hip hop wasn't ever covered like MTV for a long time. Didn't even look at it. You look at the artists that came out on MTV back in the beginning of MTV. Hardly any of them were black. It just didn't happen. And then hip hop came, MTV jumped on board. They had a brand new audience, you know, like that was just neglected completely before. Right. And I think that like in terms of the, the cultural zeitgeist in terms of like the art influencing the culture in the same way that rock and roll was doing that in the sixties, I think that hip hop is doing that now. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I agree. I agree. And, and you know, jazz is still there. Rock and roll is still there. It's not a big influence, but there's still a lot of people who love to play it and there's, and people listen to it. You know, you, everywhere you go, you're going to hear a combination of both. I think today's kids are much more eclectic than we were. There's a lot of kids that are at school. that are listening to classic rock, but you know, they're also listening to hip hop. They're listening to, um, you know, I don't even know anymore. Damn, I'm getting old. Well, and that, that's part of the appeal of having so much available to you at any given time is that you, you can afford to have all these different interests and all these different genres that you're listening to. For 10 bucks right. a month, you get a Spotify account and there's a lot of things on there. But at the same time, it's so much harder to be exposed to new things. Why is that? that, that I have a question for you. I mean, like when you're seeking to listen to new music, where do you get it from? You have a friend that, you know, t says, Hey, check this guy out. You know, or, or are you reading reviews of, of albums or, you know, there's a lot of junk out there mm -hmm. and you know, you only have so much time to listen. So, so how do you, how do you find the things that you're going to be really interested in? I won't have any, any of people my age recommend music to me really. <laughs> um, However, I think that the, the way that people discover new music is solely based off of uh, what they're listening to now, the whole what you may like. Yeah, playlists. I mean, yeah. that, and that helps me out. You know, like I, there was, there's been, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I've been listening to like, you know, I just put on uh, jazz funk and I'll, I'll just type in jazz funk and I'll just see what comes up. And then I'll, just, I'll start listening and there'll, there'll be some things that will stand out to me and and I'll explore that later on. Well, I definitely am of the camp of like, I'm lucky that I have two musician friends who are really into what's going on. So I always go to them and be like, what are you listening to right now? And they'll send me something I'm like, oh, now I know what's going on in music because otherwise I have no idea. I don't know like if I'm the outlier here, but I don't even listen to the radio in my car. And, you know, I have my playlists playing through my, my speakers. So I'm not being exposed to new music outside of the stuff that I'm already listening to. I, I don't listen to, to music in my car on, on the radio. Yeah. I'll, I'll play lists. I'm, I'm just, I usually have on a, something else. Right. So yeah, you, you, your, your taste can, uh, you can pull in more of what you're listening to, but it is, it is harder despite how accessible it, everything is to actually expand your, your taste to different genres. Or things that you're unfamiliar with. And sometimes what I'll do when I'm bored with the music that I'm listening to is I'll go and do a record store and I'll just look at a cover. And if the cover looks cool, I'll, I'll buy it and I'll put it on. Just, Why not? Just because I, I'll have no idea what it is. 
Isn't that and, fun? And it's just kind of a way to, you know, open your mind. I, I used to like uh, going to going to rummage sales, garage sales, and, and there'd be albums there. Mm-hmm. And I'd always look for like albums that were released locally, Midwest albums by Midwest bands that never made it. I just wanted to hear them. Like, well, wh- you know, what were these guys doing? You know, because it was interesting to me. And some of it was great. Some of it was really bad. But, <laughs> you know, either way, it was it was fun to listen to. Yeah. Well, I think that's just about going to do it for us this week. Thank you so much, Charlie, for coming in and chatting with us. Where can people hear Bacchus Lotus for? Well, you can get it on Spotify and iTunes, and it's on just about every major streaming service. Perfect. Uh, do you have anything coming up that you that you want to let people know about, whether it be anything you're doing with Bacchus Lotus or if there's any upcoming band concerts or anything? Our instrumental music concert is December 11th. It's at the Dora Community Auditorium. It starts at 7 o'clock. Perfect. Thank you so much, Charlie, and thank you, Solomon, for joining me today. Uh, And I look forward to checking out more of your music and chatting with you again soon. For more Door County news, interviews, and exclusive content, check us out at doorcountypulse.com or pick up this week's issue of the Peninsula Pulse available every Friday. Don't forget to subscribe to the Door County Pulse podcast to get new episodes delivered straight to your device twice a week. Thank you for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. (laughs) 